Welcome to the Swim Swim Podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining me today, we've got a very special guest. You may know, uh, you may be a, a little more familiar with his 14-year-old son, Luca, who has been having monster swims these last few months in North Carolina, but he is a PhD. He's a professor of exercise and sports science at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Today, we've got Dr. Claudio Battellini. Welcome. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's a big pleasure being here with you. We're big fans of your work in Swim Swam, so thank you. Thank you for hosting and having me. Thank you. That's that's high praise. Uh, right at the right at the start of the podcast, I appreciate it. Um, I'm excited to sit down and talk with you. We you know we just went over your a little bit of your background, and I'm excited to dive a little deeper. You you've got a really cool story, and um, so let's. I, I want to start at kind of kind of the end, just kind of the most recent uh, recent last couple of months. You know, like we said. Uh, your son Luca Battellini has has he's 14 years old. Um, he's been going a lot of best times and and putting up times that even as a 14 year old, you know, kind of are turning heads a little bit, which is cool. Um, y- you take part in in coaching your son, and over these last couple meets, um, just before we get into you know his background and your background, um, what have your thoughts been on just how he's performed? how he's raced, how he's approached racing in these last few months? Yeah, so that's a great question, Coleman. And uh, as you know, you know, swimming is a big process. You know, it's a learning, it's a lifelong learning experience. I mean, every swimmer to the Olympic level, they're learning every day. They're trying to uh, learn about themselves. They're trying different little things, you know, to, to shave that one hundredth of a second. So it, it's, this is what fascinates all of us about swimming you know, and the opportunity to, to learn and grow and experiment and fail and then do well again and be resilient about the process. So for Luca, it's a process, you know, uh, since he's, he was six years old, uh, we, we saw that he enjoyed the sport a lot. You know, he was really, he's a racer. He, he really likes to race like any, any guy that loves winning, right? He hates to lose. Uh, he's that guy that if he has a bad swim, he comes out of the water really upset. And, and he's learning that, you know, uh, you can't swim super well every single race, but the training, the preparation allows us to be more success, successful, you know, more frequently than have bad results. And, and that has been the case for, for these guys that have been coaching. Uh, it's a process I explained to them, you know, from the get-go at the beginning of the season, as you know, we had a, a heck of a season with pool closures and swimming at lakes. We swam a lot at the lakes to try to build a solid base for the season. We didn't know if we we're even going to race. So I was able to really get them and in, in, in develop a solid aerobic base. And we developed uh, a plan, you know, hoping for a big meet at the end of, uh, you know, July, beginning of August. And it happened. It happened that uh, my guys swam really well. About a couple months before junior nationals, they got all the cuts. And then our goal became to make a finals 
uh, junior uh, nationals, and we accomplished that. And, and my other swimmers too, Colin Davis, as you know, broke the American record on the for the deaf team, and uh, now our goal becomes the the deaf Olympics in Brazil at the end of the year. So, so to answer your question, there is, you know, um, it's it's that pursuit, right? We're chasing that perfect race constantly. We're we're chasing, you know, uh, the details within the races. I the way I coach my guys, I tell them, look, I don't want it to be caught up with times. I want to go this time. I want to go best time. I think if you really focus on the fundamentals of the sport, and if you focus on trying to execute those fundamentals and you win your races, you know, that would take care of itself for the times, for the time piece. So, you know, I never tell my guys, oh, we, you know, you're going to go this time. I want you to go this time. No, I, I take a different approach. I tell them we are going to hit the underwaters really well. You know, we're going to hit the walls. Um, you know, the breakouts need to be pristine. We're going to time them perfectly in practice. So when you come to competitions, we start executing those fundamentals. And this is what has happened with Luca. You know, as he grows and learns, that there's a lot of uh, mistakes still in, in his swimming. There's a lot of strategies that we haven't attempted yet. You know, we're finding tune still. It, it's a process. And as he grows and develops physiologically too, it's a challenge, right? And it's a good challenge because he grows another inch or two. Then we're working again on trying to tune up the mechanics. And then his physiology now allows him to take an extra couple of dolphins, you know, in the last 25 on 100, for example. You know, so it's, it's fascinating. And I think uh, hammering the fundamentals, I think what we do in practice is every yard counts. Uh, you know, and, and even though I'm not the guy that pushes a lot of mile, miles on them, you know, I, I use a different approach, you know, every mile counts. So when they swim a 4K, 5K practice, it, it, they feel like they're swimming an 8K practice easily, you know. So, but, and, and that's what has been fascinating is it's hitting the fundamentals of the sport and, and make them really count for those guys. I like it. I, I like this philosophy and I'm excited to get into it. So it's to explain your training philosophy, I think we have to go back a couple decades. Uh, you know, we, we were, we were talking in, uh, in the mid nineties, you were training the top triathletes in the world in Brazil. And I think that kind of explains your, uh, your ability to think long-term and, and, and longer, uh, because you were tra- you were training, you know, elite distance athletes and uh, for for longer things. So, uh, t- I mean, tell me, what did you, especially from a swim perspective, which I'm interested in, what did you gain from training? You know, these these were the number one, number two guys in the world. They were going to the Olympic Games. I mean, these right. were, you know, you were training serious athletes. And what did you gain, especially just from a coaching and swimming perspective, um, from training these triathletes? Yeah, you know, and, and you're absolutely right. I think uh, coaching those guys and seeing firsthand, you know, how they deal with the circuit, right? To be be there and, and perform well every single time and be ranked top 10 in the world and so forth. It's all about the details as well. You know, uh, one of my athletes particularly, Leandro Macedo, he was, he was a perfectionist. Every single little detail in the preparation for, for the world championships, for example, it was, we work on the little things. It's an adjustment on the bike that takes a couple degree angles that might regain performance. 
you know, might be the way we set the, the cycling shoes for the transition area to gain another two, three seconds overall. So I have always worked on, on the, the fundamentals and the detail. And in, in let me tell you, in swimming, more than anything else, we are talking about hundreds of a second that will make it or break it, right? I was, Olymp I was at the Olympic trials uh, for Rio in Omaha, watching there and in, 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 um, we're there with the family and friends watching the whole process. You know, you see an athlete hitting one hundredth of a second behind and not making the team. Where, 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 where we could have shaved that? So, and I love that aspect. Being a scientist, I think to me, you know, looking at those little tiny details, hand position or the push off. Uh, should we start down from the get go, or should you glide? I mean, you have the power to produce that and maintain that speed. So, to tell you, I think those kids are getting now. You know that every yard counts during practice. Every little detail, how you approach the wall. And my job as a coach is to find their deficiencies and really work on those deficiencies in a daily basis. And it's paying off. It's paying off. The kids, uh, you know, they're now ready, focused on doing the right things. And uh, it has been pretty exciting to watch their development this past uh, six months. That's so interesting because you're talking about, you know, focusing on small details in a triathlon, which is, you know, long, you think of yeah. it as, as a very long race and you're, right. you're talking about things that will, you know, uh, shave off two to three seconds. Um, exactly. But it, but it is kind of funny because triathlon, you know, we think of swimming as, as a race, but we're always focused on times. Whereas a triathlon, it's like, I'm guessing they don't care about times at all. They just, they want to win, right? We want to win <laughs> the like, race, right? They, <laughs> they don't, you know, they're not looking to, oh, I want a PR for like, you know, five hours or, so, you know, I don't know. But um, it's really interesting because, you know, it sounds like the way you trained those triathletes to focus on those details, um, same way you're training your swimmers now. Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And in swimming, as you know, I mean, we're so passionate about it and, and we study, you know, the sport probably almost every day. We're looking at videos, we're looking at, you know, uh, practice times and where they break down and how can you really maximize the strategy for the characteristics of each swimmer, right? I mean, the way Luca, for example, swims the 200 compared to the way Colin swims the 200 is different because they do have different characteristics as swimmers. So to fine tune to that, it's, it's what fascinates me. I always tell my students in, in, at UNC, I said, look, coaching is an art. Not only you need to have, you know, the physiology background, the experience, you know, of coaching, but, you know, that ability to detect little things and make modifications on the goal is what really makes a massive difference, you know, in, in improving those guys. And uh, in having a small team, it, you know, allows me to do that. I, I can't imagine those guys coaching 30, 40 guys, you know, and try to do that. It's nearly impossible. But uh, since I have the opportunity to work with just a few guys, I think they benefit significantly from, you know, uh, the data that I collect in practice constantly and, and try to modify things. And still a lot of work to go. And, you know, they're just scratching the surface here. They're learning um, you know, Luke is still learning. He's still learning his races. He's learning, you know, uh, the details now and moving from the age group, right, mentality to, okay, now it's make or break. And now we are in the 15, 18 category. It's fair game. 
there's no crying and there's no, we either execute or we're not going to be competitive. So, but uh, it has been fascinating. It has been really fun. Yeah. <clears throat> Again, I, I love where our sport is right now because, you know, even mid nineties, probably certainly, you know, people I've talked to in, from the eighties um, and even two thousands, you know, it's like, it was all about grinding yardage and just, yes. just swimming lots of yards and trying to be the best that you could in that. And I don't think that was necessarily healthy for our sport. And I think now, um, you know, with people like you, with the Andrews, with, uh, you know, Katinka and Chad LaClo, it's like people are exploring with their training and they're doing all kinds of different things. They're racing a lot more, they're doing less yardage and, and you still have those people who are doing more yardage, but there's just so much more diversity and there's so much more, like you said, creativity and room for exploration. And I think that's really important. And so what I want to get into is, is your methodology just so you know dive a little deeper into that um you said you have you know a, a big overall plan i mean how do you as a coach start making those plans because i know as swim coaches that's one thing that's really interesting to a lot of coaches is making a plan whether that's for a week for a month for a season you know it's i mean you mentioned for Valuki, you have this huge plan and i don't know how how big that <laughs> extends to but you know it's like even if you're planning for a week of training what what does that look like for you yeah so uh, just this quick to uh, comment I, I couldn't agree more with you that you know uh, modern swimming has developed and one thing to keep in mind is that you know we're using dry land and the weights you know the strength and conditioning way more than we use in the mid 90s and and so forth. So on top of that, I think we all need to consider that these guys are swimming and they are lifting weights, you know, not lifting weights. Look, is too young. We're doing a lot of body control and stuff, but, but that adds to the overall volume of training. So you need to be very careful. So if you want to still do high mileage and you still get these guys into the weight training room, you know, maybe we're overloading them a little too much. So we we are learning as we go in the process. So but my training, you know, I really based all uh, of the training on the periodization process. You know, I'm a big fan of Lepalovich Matveyev, one of the top, you know, exercise physiologists in, the, in Russia, you know, during the communism era there. And then it's a guy that really um, moved forward with training methodologies and were able to do a lot of different things. And I've read a lot about his work. I studied his work for over 20 plus years. And I learned really well on how to put this master plan, right? The macro cycles, you know, we have Olympic years, which are very exciting years uh, for our swimmers and, and then off Olympic cycle years, you know, how you periodize the process. So what I do with my guys, since they're young, we, you know, I mean, the eyesight, of course, for, I, I can speak for Luca, for example, it is uh, 2024, you know, uh, Olympic trials, France. Uh, we, we're looking, you know, way ahead time here. We're talking about, you know, three years now for Olympic trials uh, in, for France. And then we have LA 2028. So you got to start looking way ahead and start to really position yourself with some goals and objectives to meet along this continuum here. But with the periodization training plan, what I have done the past years with them is that I try to create two 
macro cycles of approximately 16 weeks of training. So it's basically I get the whole year and I separate that in two different semesters, right? So we have the semester that starts in August. They're going to be racing, you know, their major races around February time, March, which they used to have JOs. And well, now we're winter junior nationals. We're climbing a little bit the rankings here. West Open, I mean, we got some cuts for the West Open this year. You know, even though uh, Luke was young, but but what happened is I periodized them, you know, and I hit uh, a couple uh, competitions which you call level one competitions. We we focus on those two events, you know, uh, for the the micro cycle of 15, 16 weeks, and we develop a solid aerobic base of these guys. Regardless, we're going to be racing tired for the first three and a half months, where the volume of training climbs up. While you know, work with Jason with the strengthening condition. We really match the physiological systems that we're working together to build them up throughout the season. As you know, when you get to the pre-competitive phase, the volume drops, and then we really working on intensity and finding tune for competition. And the strengthening condition program changes as well from building that strength. Now we're gonna be moving into the development of more power on those guys, you know, and the activities change. By the time we get into the competitive phase at the end of this macro cycle of 16 weeks, you know, they're in top shape to race. And the biggest challenge that we coaches have with those guys is during the competitive phase, maintain that level of competitiveness, right? And, and really hit fast times during that period. As you could see from our team, the past two months before we internationals, you know, they swam really well two months before, and then we have junior nationals, which are our main goal. What messed us up a little bit, and I tell you, even though I was happy with the kids' result, they swam well, you know, they, they switched the, 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 the date about a couple weeks off of our schedule at the last minute. And suddenly I'm like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. So how am I gonna taper these guys now based on this two weeks change? So this year was a challenge year for everyone. Every coach would tell you, you know, you, you gotta make uh, lemonade out of lemons here. And that's what we try to do. So after we finished this cycle, winter juniors were our main objective for the first macro cycle. What I did, I give them a break. We went to Florida there to just, you know, relax and a couple of swims to keep the feel of the water. But I really want to detrain them a little bit, fresh their minds. And now what I'm going to do again, I'm going to get back into an adaptive training phase two, and I'm going to start rebuilding them. So we're going to get into uh, an endurance phase now. We're going to build that base again. I think they need a little bit of mileage. You know, um, by month three, three and a half, these guys will be swimming about 50K a week, you know, split into about six, seven sessions. Uh, and you got to keep in mind, we still have the strength and conditioning. And then based on the schedule, the calendar, we don't have it yet. Uh, unfortunately, high school uh, championships is not going to happen this year here for our kids in North Carolina. We don't have that as, a, as an excitement for them. They love to race that. Um, yeah. we, we only have um, senior JOs at, at the end of February, apparently, but that will, they're going to be swimming tired that. Um, it's really not our goal. You know, and try to push close to Olympic trials and see if we can uh, sneak some of those guys there, perhaps, you know, and then close the year. One of my girls already have an Olympic trial cut 
uh, Zeta Fields. So we'll be heading to Omaha for the 53. I hope she gets a couple more cuts before then. So it will be an interesting year again. Uh, but you know that that's basically what we do. We we get these guys in the strength and conditioning program three times a week uh, with Jason, and they swim pretty much almost every day of the week, with the exception of Sunday. You know, um, another thing that I try to do with them now that we're online classes, right? is I try to train them at least a couple of times in the morning to get the body used to training in the morning as well. You know, in the rest of the days, we're training in the evening from six to eight, 8.30. Uh, but that's, that's, that's us. That's what we, we, we try to do here. Yeah. That, which, I mean, that, that um, it sounds like you, you have different focuses, but you know, it's like in terms of scheduling and periodization, that kind of sounds like you're, it's kind of typical for for a swim club, which is, I Correct. again again you're combining you're combining some old school and some new school, and it's cool. It's a, it's yes. it sounds pretty cool. Um, so I I want to ask you about uh the you know what is a very sacred word in our sport, which is taper. Um, you mentioned taper before a little bit, and I that word has has a it carries a lot of weight, right? And that can be good, yes. and that can be bad. And um, how do you how do you approach from from a physical standpoint, just from mm-hmm. a from a verbal standpoint of talking to your athletes about it and about what to expect? How do you approach rest? Right. So uh, tapering is is really a very interesting part of the training process, as you know. And everybody responds quite differently from tapering, all right? And a lot of people out there, there's a lot of coaches that do have the tapering perspective quite wrong, in my opinion. And a lot of them think that is rest, rest. You know, they, I see a lot of club coaches coming out in the last two weeks, three weeks before competition. They really drastically change the volume. No, they need to rest, they need to rest. Well, not necessarily. I mean, for age groupers, Tapering has a total different meaning when you're talking about coaching the top guys and the Olympic guys. You know, uh, a second point that it's important to, to think about is that the taper process, it doesn't work the same for everyone. All right. And, and I'll give a very uh, uh, interesting story here pretty quick. I coached a, a marathoner guy a long time ago in the, in the 90s, and uh, we we're trying to qualify for the Olympics and uh, the Australian, actually the Greek games. And this guy, you know, he was so strong. We ran, a, uh, we almost won Boston Marathon. We, we lost Boston at the end there in the last, you know, 200 yards. And, but anyhow, so that guy, you know, the tapering process for him specifically, when we really hit that big race, Olympic trials, so we wanted him to make the team. I need to really lose him up about almost a month and this is a marathon, right? Uh, he really takes that long, not, not a month, but three weeks. I really need to reduce the volume, very sh- slow and short stimulus to really give him the opportunity to really get ready for racing, to have all the physiological systems reestablished and good to go. If I didn't do that, if I only give him maybe a week, week and a half of lower volume, he wouldn't recover and he would tank on his race. So it takes time for you to learn about the athlete. What is the tapering process? What is the timeline for you to correctly, you know, taper the athlete, right? For the other, the other spectrum, him, I had a, a mountain biker guy 
right? Top three in the world. He, he, he got top three in the Norbert Circuit in Winter Park in, in the 1996. So if I would rest him for two, three weeks, I mean, rest, right? It's not really rest, but it's <laughs> the volume of training. And so he, he, he would tank completely. So he used to call, tell me, say, coach, on Tuesday, you're racing on Saturday and Sunday. On Tuesday, he tells me, coach, I need to get out and go for an 80K strong. I said, you crazy. No, no, I, I really need to do that. I, re I feel really good when I have a solid, long, strong practice about four days before racing. You know, and as a coach, you need to listen to the guy. And, and of course, I didn't want to experiment that right in a big competition, but in smaller racing, we did. I said, okay, all right, let's go. You know, got the guy to do 100K, basically, and, and massage right after practice and refeeding. I mean, everything needs to be in place. Man, this guy, he flew on Saturday. He was on fire. And, and if I do that with another athlete, they wouldn't. They, they, they would die there. They would, they, would, they would tank so badly. So when you talk about tapering, you know, and this is why it's important for, for swimmers to understand too. You know, your coach, the coach that sticks with you, that knows you for many, many, many years, those are the coaches that know exactly what works for you. If you change coach here, 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 that coach won't have time to learn about you, you know, and learning different because I have all in files, you know, for example, if we hit a big race, right, even though it was not, was not one of our major races, I look back what I did the three, four weeks prior, and then I start manipulating that data, you know, and by doing this, you know that you got a greater chance for your athlete to perform really well if you follow something that has worked out for that particular athlete. And even doing that, there's no guarantee, as you know. So... The tapering process, I, I tell you, uh, the more the coach stays with the athlete, the more the athlete, they, they start knowing them for years, they know what works and what doesn't work for them. You know what I mean? So in, in one big mistake is thinking that uh, the tapering process works the same for everyone. Absolutely not. You know, everybody's different. Some athletes like a little bit more stimulus here. They need that. Others don't. Others need more rest, perhaps. You know, so it's a constantly battle. It's, it's an art in, you know, get the data, you know, look at the meets that the guys have swum extremely well. You know, study, study the three weeks, four weeks prior to that meet. What did you do? Try to identify if you did anything differently, you know, and, and, and then you start finding tune for it. All the top guys, they know what worked for them. You know, at this point in time, they, they know what works for them and, and they still doesn't, guarantee that they're going to swim their best, but that gives them a much better chance to swim really well. So, uh, but that's something that everybody asked me is the tapering. And I said, look, everyone is different. <laughs> we, we know the basics of tapering, right? You're going to reduce the volume. You're going to keep some intensity there. You're going to give time at least for six hours to replenish all the glycogen in the muscle. If you are a long distance swimmer, that's extremely important for you. You know, I mean, we know the science, we know the physiology, you know, and you need to apply that always. But even applying that physiology and the knowledge that we have, you know, everybody's a little bit different. And, and that's, yeah. that's fascinating, fascinating, right? <laughs> 
that <clears throat> that it is and and i think the more i personally the more i'm involved in the sport the, yeah the more you kind of realize there's no one right way to do anything <laughs> it's it's and it's exactly. all it's kind of all about the fit right the fit with the coach and the athlete like you were saying yes. and and the more you develop that the more possibility there is for success i think and so that go ahead no no you're absolutely <laughs> right i mean what we used to say right in, in science and exercise physiology is that one head does not fit everybody's head. And, and that's very true, even more, you know, at that level, at the Olympic level, right? At the top swimmers in the world, they're so unique on their own way of doing things. And, and uh, to find, and the coach is the one that will understand that and will manipulate and have the art. That's where the art comes into play, right? Sometimes you get an athlete that is down and, and you motivate, you tweak, something a little bit that you know we're not gonna harm the performance but that that's why it's so important and if you look at the history right of the sport the athletes that have succeeded significantly throughout decades they stuck with their coaches their coaches know them since they're young and develop them throughout the process i mean the, the classic example and i love that story it's bob bauman and michael you know, I mean, the greatest of all times, I mean, they have been together since Mike was a young age grouper. Who knows Michael better than Bob? No one. You know what I mean? And, and that's the recommendation that I tell the youngsters. You know, I'm not swimming well. I'm going to switch coaches here. I'm going to swim coaches here. Well, think that through. Think that through because, you know, the more you stick with a coach that cares for you, that knows you, start learning about you, I think you have a better chance you know, to hit those taperings or different training, you know, uh, with, with greater success. Seems like good advice. And so, so, um, we, we've got about 10 minutes left and sure. you mentioned, you mentioned the art, uh, but I want to get into the science a little bit. You know, you, you told me before you were this coach, you were coaching triathletes. Um, and then at some point, one of your mentors said, listen, you know, you're doing great here in Brazil, but you need to go get a PhD. You, you need to get, get an education about, about the science uh, aspect of coaching. And that's what's really going to make you stand out, make going to make you great. So that's what you did. You, you got your PhD. And um, I, I'm curious because we have some coaches in our sport that, that are PhDs that are, you know, ex exceedingly learned in the scientific fields. And I think it kind of shows in their coaching methods. So I'm, sh I'm guessing you see, you know, quite a bit of swimming and you interact with, co with other coaches. And what do you feel like you gain from that scientific education or, or maybe something that's, you know, missing from, from just that normal swimming community who doesn't have uh, that that higher level of scientific knowledge? Mm -hmm. Well, that's an that's an outstanding question, Coleman. And, and uh, we, we talk a lot a lot about this, you know, uh, in science. So <laughs> I think the, the physiological perspective is critical, right? So if you understand how the body operates, if you understand how the energy systems, you know, they take place, you know, you are able to craft the training plan based on those fundamental not the fundamental knowledge for it to be able. So, and I'll give an example about uh, how to interpret this. So if you know the physiology well, you know what energy system you're targeting to improve a particular physical characteristic of your athlete, all right? 
So that will help you to design your sets. That will develop, that they'll help you to create a set to target those particular systems and train them for those capacities. If you don't have that physiological background, it's, it, it becomes more complicated because you think that you're hitting a certain physiological system, right? But in reality, you are not. And I give an example. We have some great coaches that don't have that physiological background, no question about it, but they're hungry for knowledge. I, I got a couple of coaches come to my office at UNC and sit with me. They sat in one of my exercise physiology classes, you know, the undergrad level to really learn the basics of physiology in the, the effects of different types of exercise, modes of exercise on the physiology. And they start to realize, oh my gosh, I was doing this set here thinking that I was improving this particular characteristic on my swimmer, but in fact, I was not, <laughs> you know? So they start gaining the understanding and become fascinated. A lot of coaches uh, came to my office and we were sitting down and I said, okay, the first question I ask them sometimes, all right, go to the board there and design a practice for me where the focus will be on the development of an aerobic capacity, okay? I want this practice to really focus on the development of aerobic capacity and work on technique. And then they go to the board and put a set there. And I said, okay, well, let's break down the set here and let's try to understand what we're trying to accomplish here. Why are you doing sets of 50s or 25s when you're trying to develop the aerobic capacity in this particular fashion? Or you can do that. You can develop the aerobic capacity during those sets, but the interval, you need to be adjusted. So how do they gain that experience? By learning the physiology, by learning how you target some of the physiological, the, the energy producing systems, right? So another thing that is very fascinating, a lot of times, you know, we talk about in, in any swimming program, even college, right? You have the sprinters, you have the mid-distance group, and you have the distance group, right? And the coaches will put them accordingly, you know, toward the best events are and train them in that particular fashion, right? So, but in, in the age group, Usually that doesn't happen. Everybody going to swim the big practice. Um, some clubs will have the capacity to have larger groups, larger number of coaches. They will do that. But, you know, they have, you have sprinters, you know, doing long, long sets. And, and, and a lot of times you, you wonder, okay, why this person is a, is a sprinter and this person is doing this massive aerobic set here, you know, without knowing that potential, that could be very harmful. I mean, there's some malplasticity that happened in the muscle cell itself, you know, fast twitch fibers that might be even irreversible and, and, and you're slowing down your sprinter. You're not really contributing, you know, for the development of sprinting capacities or, you know, anaerobic systems that will produce that blasting energy for you to, you know, get out there off the blocks and then a 50 all out. So, so, to answer your question, I think this knowledge, this, this physiological background, it's very important, you know, because not only on the development of the plan, you know, so I'll give an example, right? During the base phase, during the preparatory phase there where I'm trying to develop this aerobic capacity of my guys, you know, how do you do that? I mean, how, how are we gonna progress, for example, in terms of volume? I see some folks getting from one volume here to a really high volume very, in a very short period of time. A lot of times that's not really recommended because you didn't give chance for the system to adapt properly here. And when you make this large jump, you might be even putting the athlete in, in, in an in a overreaching 
type of scenario that mm, you don't want to do that. So you need the science to back you up, right? And not increasing the loads more than 10% of the previous load every week or even every other week. So that physiological uh, background becomes, in my opinion, if you want to coach at the super highest level, it's almost a necessity, you know, and, and you need to have it. And of course, the top guys in our sport uh, coaching, the top programs in the country, the top college programs, I mean, they do a fantastic job, you know, and, and they, they're really studying constantly, you know, and that's the beauty of this process. So um, I tell you, the physiology helps a lot. I think uh, having the experience of swimming yourself helps as well. You know, uh, I'm not saying that you absolutely have to have all of those to be a great coach, but I think another factor that's very important that you know, you got to be also a psychologist too. You're constantly dealing and mentoring these guys. You know, you want to get into their minds too and give them confidence. But when you really develop a very solid training plan, even the psychological aspect of the training will make this guy mentally strong. They know what's happening, they know how they feel, they become confident. And boom, they hit right their Olympic trials at their best. So, but all of those characteristics, you know, having the physiology background, have some background in psychology would not hurt. I think it would be great to, to take a few psych classes, you know, uh, some administrative roles as well. You know, if you can, you know, that, that makes the coach a really well-rounded. And, and I had opportunity because when I was uh, really starting my coaching career, I started with babies. <laughs> my first <laughs> job, my first job, it was uh, work with babies. So I had about 10, 12 moms in a pool with the little baby, six months old. And we're, and I'm there without having a clue what I was doing. It was my first job in swimming. And then my mentor there in Brazil said, no, you're doing great. No, just play with them and blow bubbles, put the nose, blow their face, kind of dunk them. And, and I gotta be honest with you, Coleman, that was a great thing for me to see the babies under the water, learning how to survive, how they kick, why this baby's going a little quicker here, surviving into the water. So the next step was coaching age groups, you know, starting the first group, coaching freestyle backstroke. And so I was able to go to that progression all the way up to competitive swimming. So that, that was another thing that I highly recommend, you know, young coaches trying to get there and, and learn. Man, put your hands on on every single opportunity that you have because you learn. You learn with every single person, every single swimmer, you know, and, and, and it's awesome. But, but again, yeah, the physiology, I, I, of course, I'm biased. I'm a physiologist. You know, I think without that background, it, it's very difficult for you to really coach in the, you know, in the highest level. Yeah. I, that's, that's sage wisdom. I, I love, I love where your head's at. I love where you're coming from. I think that's a great note to end on. Um, it's been, it's been great talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time, Claudio, to sit down and talk with me for a bit. Oh, it's an honor being here in your program. We all love you guys. Uh, your, your podcast, we, we constantly watch them almost weekly. You know, my athletes absolutely are a big fan of your work and all the swim swim team. Uh, we cannot thank you enough for the opportunity. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. 
Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.